morning, Hope. <laughs> it is a great honor and a, and a really a privilege to be here. Um, you know, Jim made it very clear, anything over 25 to 30 minutes, you guys got stuff in your pockets, you start throwing at me. So, so bear with me, I did my best to cut it back uh, to meet that time. Um, well, Jim, Jim gave the introduction, so I don't want to spend time there. Let's, let's go before uh, our king. God, we come before you honored and privileged that we can do that, that, that we could come before you. And as your word says, we this morning enter into, boldly enter into your throne room of grace, asking for that, for grace. Lord, use me today to speak your word. It's such a blessing and a relief to know that it's not me, but it's your word. And I believe in my preparation, you've made that clear. God, as we go about a, a candidating season, as, as hope searches for their, their next pastor, for this next 30 minutes, help us to put that aside and hear what you have to say. Lord, this is about you and you only. I pray that you get the glory that your name is glorified, that the work that you've done in my heart is proclaimed, and of course, above all, that your cross is lifted high. And Lord, we say all these things in your son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. January 28th, 1986. Some of you remember this date. It was a tragic day in the history of our world. On this day, U.S. Space Shuttle Challenger was set to take off. After many days of delays and, and maintenance issues, NASA finally believed that this spaceship was ready to go into orbit. So they cleared them for takeoff. Just 73 seconds after takeoff, the spaceship exploded above the Atlantic Ocean, claiming the lives of the seven people that were on board. Now, after a time of mourning as a nation and, and really around the globe, scientists began to analyze the reasoning as to why this explosion took place. They spent years, even decades, preparing for this launch, and, and all of it vanished in just a matter of seconds. Through many months of research and analysis, the scientists, some of which were the best in the world, found that the main cause of the disaster was a simple O-ring. Because of the cold temperatures that Cape Canaveral experienced at the time of the launch, one article read like this, the severe cold reduced the resiliency of two rubber O-rings that sealed the joint between the two lower segments of the right-hand solid rocket booster. At a, at a commission hearing, the one of the scientists convincingly demonstrated the loss of O-ring resiliency by submerging one of these rubber O-rings into a glass of ice water. Now, under normal circumstances, when the shuttle's three main engines ignited, they pressed the whole vehicle forward, and, and the boosters were ignited when the vehicle swung back to the center. Now, on the morning of the accident, an effect called joint rotation, this article called it, occurred, which prevented the rings from resealing and opened a path for hot exhaust gas to escape from inside the booster. Some of you are like, this is way out of my realm. Where are you going with this? In other words, two simple O-rings with the 
diameter just bigger than a pinky finger caused the lives of all those on board. It, it paused the nationwide space exploration efforts and, and left the nation in mourning for years to come, so much so that we still talk about it to this day. Now, why do I tell this tragic story? Because the smallest error can oftentimes make the biggest difference. You know, when the Challenger was, was on the ground still prior to takeoff, the, the astronauts and, and the scientists and the engineers were, were so concerned with these major mechanical workings on the ship that the small, minuscule details were overlooked. You see, but these, these small issues left unchecked, they snowball into something that's more, that has more detrimental problems. And, and as we have just seen here, it costs the lives of, of the innocent and the vulnerable. You see, there's nothing about the gospel that is a small issue. In the same way, the, the true gospel of Christ is one that it can't be changed, it cannot be modified, it cannot be minimized, it, it can't be overlooked, or it can't be underemphasized. Each part is equal in importance because without even the smallest detail of the gospel, it loses its supernatural power. The gospel can't be changed, modified, twisted, or minimized, but rather is one that should be protected, stood up for, cherished, and proclaimed. With that being said, we're going to get into our text for this morning. If you have your Bibles, Colossians 2, 6 through 10. The, the, the message title is going to be The Simple Gospel. The Simple Gospel. I'm already five minutes in, so we are going to fly through this. So please grab your Bible. The, the verses will be on the screen from my understanding. So Colossians 2, 6 through 10. This content's very rich. We'll take it in bite-sized chunks, but let's first look at Verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Point number one, the true gospel is to be lived out. The true gospel is to be lived out. Paul is, is continuing his thoughts here from, from verses 4 and 5 where, where he's commending the church in Coloss for, for standing strong in the face of false teachers and arguments. It's essentially like he's saying, I'm so happy to hear that even though a false heretical teacher came to preach, you didn't believe him, you didn't fall for his tricks, and not only that, you stood strong for the true gospel. But Paul is then saying it, we need to go a step further here. He's saying it's not enough to know the true gospel. You are called to live it out. In other words, there should be no gap between belief and behavior. Now with that comes the question, well, how do I live out the gospel? What does that look like in my life? And, you know, I believe that that used to be a, a really, really simple answer. But it no longer is today. The world has made it more complex than it needs to be. Churches have made it more complex than it needs to be. And I shouldn't simply say that the, the world has made it more complex, but, but really the, the church has oftentimes made it so complex to, as to what it looks like to live out the true gospel. 
You see, any gospel that is not the true gospel is the wrong gospel. And when it's the wrong gospel, it's not from God. And when it's not from God, it's from the enemy. Ephesians 4.27 says this, Do not give the devil a foothold. Do not give the devil a foothold. Because when you give the devil a foothold, he'll take the whole house. And when he gets a foothold in the door of the true gospel, you get a divided church. And, and once the church becomes divided, the Holy Spirit is quenched. Now the Apostle Paul describes the Christian life in these verses with four phrases. And look back at them, verses 6 and 7. Firmly rooted, being built up, thank you, being established in the faith, and overflowing, some translations call it, or abounding in thanksgiving. Now, the first three here are, are demonstrating our connection to Christ. The final is a posture that we have as a response to his work in our life. We are to be firmly rooted in the truth of God's word, being built up by his church and established or confident in the faith that we have. You see, this then produces a posture of overflowing gratitude in our life where we can't help but live a joy-filled life that contains overwhelming peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, and so on because we have a greater understanding of the conviction of what Christ has done for us on the cross, reconciling our relationship with God so that we have this ability to have eternity in heaven with him. That's the true gospel. And, and when you put your faith in the true gospel, you begin to realize that your life is changed not because of effort that you put in, not because of a, a self-help book, or not because of these crystals or, or new age rituals, but because of God's spirit working in you, creating a desire to serve him and give him the glory with every decision that you make. Let's keep going. Verse 8. Verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits, the Greek word is stoichia, the evil spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Point number two, the true gospel is to be defended. The true gospel is to be defended. As we've said, any gospel that is not the, the true gospel is actually anti-gospel. And if any philosophy that you hear is not of God, then it's from the enemy. Now, no matter how subtle or, or how much it tickles your ears, if it's not the gospel that revolves around the coming of Christ to die for our sins and rising again three days later, it's from the enemy. Romans 16, 17, and 18 says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching that you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Jesus Christ, but only their own appetites. Does it sound familiar? By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of the naive people. You see, the culture is changing, and it always will. But the church can't. 
Yes, we're going to change the, the technology that we use. We'll, we'll change the design and the, the, sure, the decorations. We'll, we'll even go as far as changing the way that we get out the good news, but we must never change the gospel. The moment that we change the gospel is the moment that we change our entire mission, and it really essentially all loses its purpose. The dangerous part about the work of the enemy is that it usually comes across quietly. He makes his work seem like it's of God when it's really of the opposite. Similar to what he did to convince Eve to eat out of the tree of, of knowledge of good and evil, he's tempting people today to believe a gospel that is not true. Now, I did quite a bit of, of research here uh, in this area because I think that in order to protect ourselves and the gospel that we, that we have, we need to know what we're protecting ourselves against. It really is important to know the work of the enemy. So I came across, and out of my own experience, put together these seven false gospels that really would be referred to as worldly ideologies because of their lack of truth. If you're taking notes, I recommend writing some of these down. You're, a lot of them are going to be more familiar than you even realize. Number one, the good people gospel. The good people gospel. This false gospel claims that we're all basically good people. It minimizes sin by saying that, well, nobody's perfect. The danger with this is that we must recognize sin to understand that we need a savior. Yeah, no human is perfect. I am 100% on board with that. But there was a God that became a man. And he lived a perfect life to be the sacrifices for the sins of the world. This man was Jesus Christ. That's called the good people gospel. Number two, the self-esteem gospel. The self-esteem gospel. This one is similar to the good people gospel where acknowledging sin is only for the sake of creating an insecurity. You may hear that something along the lines of like, you have some issues, but, but it's okay because Jesus loves you and he'll take away all your problems. Don't worry about changing. Jesus loves you. The problem is that when we make small of our sin, we're also making small of the cross. Number three, the expressive individualism gospel. The expressive individual gospel, individualism gospel. This one tells its followers to follow your heart or be who you want to be. The danger here is that Jeremiah 17.9 says our hearts are deceitful. Number four. Told you this would be quick. The optional Jesus gospel. The optional Jesus gospel. This one happens very quietly. This, this false teaching essentially says that Jesus is a way and not the way. But Christ himself said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except through me. A more common one that we've heard in recent years, the prosperity gospel. This says God wants you to be a winner. It gives you the perspective that God promises you a, a healthy and a wealthy and a happy life. But Jesus said these words in John 16, I have told you these things so that in me, in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Now anybody that has followed Christ for any amount of time knows that a relationship with him is, is really a life of mountaintops. And valleys. Our joy comes not from our circumstances, but from walking in obedience to Him. Number six, 
the progressive gospel. The progressive gospel. This false teaching views Jesus as simply a, a moral example of the world and not as Lord and Savior. It, it downplays our fallenness and, and pressures our, our, its followers to look at the lifestyle we, we live rather than who we are living our lives for. But Jesus had many confrontations with the Pharisees and teachers of the law throughout his ministry, and, and he actually made it a point to preach against legalism. He used words like, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Jesus preached against legalism. And finally, number seven, the ego-driven gospel. The ego-driven gospel. This one is mine. I made this one up. This gospel has more focus on the preacher than on Christ. It looks for growth of the church that this particular pastor leads for the sake of his own ego rather than the growth of God's kingdom. You'll hear very little focus on the glory of Christ and, and much focus on the numbers of salvations, the numbers of an attendance, the ties numbers. You won't hear about God's kingdom. You'll hear about this preacher's kingdom. The ego-driven gospel. Isaiah 42, 8 says this, I am the Lord, and that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. Now, I went through each one of these, and trust me, there are so many more of them out there. Because I want all of us... Good. So to be to be prepared for to take on these these philosophies of our day, we must be aware not only of what they are, but we also need to be reminded of where we receive our power, and that's going to bring us to the next point. The true gospel provides power. The true gospel provides power. Verses nine and ten. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. The true gospel is about Christ, for the glory of Christ. And the only part that we play as sinners is we are the ones that hung him on that cross. You see, when we begin to take the focus off of Christ and, and put it on ourselves, it's exactly when we begin to fall into any of these false teachings. And when we start to fall into these teachings, we begin to listen to the lies of the enemy. But our God is a jealous God. He, 
He is a God that is so complex that a theologian can spend a lifetime studying his attributes or, or who he is, yet not fully comprehend him. Yet he is a simple God, so much so that a five-year-old can understand what he did. You see, the only reason that unbelievers don't see the work of God is because they aren't looking for it or they're living in denial. The hurt and chaos that we are seeing in this world is not a result of God being mad, as some mistaken it, but rather as humanity gone mad. And as we all have seen in our own lives, once we stray away from the gospel and lose perspective of its power, we become lost. But we must not be discouraged when we look at our church windows and when we look outside and we see the hurt in the world or, or we begin to get disappointed as we scroll through our Facebook feeds and our, our social media feeds and we see a, a recent law that's been passed. Or we must not back away when we begin to see our freedoms as Christians being stripped away in our nation. We must stand up for truth, keep our eyes on Christ, and maintain our perspective of the true, simple gospel and remember the wise words of esther chapter 4 verse 14 and who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this you know so many times my wife and i we hear young family we hear about young families that are afraid to to have children um, because they believe that the world is so dark and that there's there's no hope for these up-and-coming generations and and let me tell you, I understand where they're coming from as you look outside and you see the world going astray, inflation through the roof with nothing more than a rumor of it slowing down, wars and, and rumors of war, wars all over the world and, and shootings taking place right down the street from where we live. But, but Amanda and I have agreed that we're called to raise our kids to be the salt and light of the world. You know, if we're going to say that we don't want to have kids because of the current state of our nation in our world, then, then we're essentially making a decision that is based on fear. And, and you know what the Bible says about fear? It says in Deuteronomy 31.6, Be strong and be courageous. Do not be afraid or, or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you and he will never forsake you. It says in Matthew 10, 31, Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than the sparrows. The list goes on and on of the times the Bible mentions do not fear. You see, when you are following the true gospel and you base your life around it, you're provided with a supernatural confidence that nothing of this world will ever take away. And that confidence comes from the same one that, that came to earth, to to die on the cross, making us able to, to enter into that throne room of grace, but not only enter it, enter it boldly. All of this out of the sole purpose of his love for us. That is the true gospel. Now, I, I, I'm going to bring us to a close in prayer, but before I do, I, this is... We're at a time in our culture where, where so many begin to question the future. People believe that they have no purpose in this world. Some, some even believe that God made a mistake by creating them the way that he did. Chaos that seems to be everywhere we look. Well, let me tell you this story. There was a young man that was once hiding and running to save his life. 
And because of the geographic layout and the, the demographics of his day, he often hid among hills to hide from the very enemy that sought to take his life. Well, fast forward 15 years, this exact man ended up becoming king of the very land that he was hiding in the hills of. He would hide in these hills because he'd be able to see the valleys and, and see really far off in the distance. He'd, he'd be living in caves, sleeping for years, hiding from his enemy. And you fast forward these 15 years, this man became the king of that land that he was hiding in. And these 15 years later, he went to, to walk through that terrain that he once hid in and was now king of. And, and he happened to have a pen and paper in his hand. And, and as he was standing in this valley and, and he chose to look up at the mountains, he began to reflect on the years of his life where, where these mountains were his safety. They were essentially what kept him alive for all these years. But when he looked at the mountains this time, this is what he wrote. I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Let's pray. So God, we thank you that we can look to you. No matter the trouble, no matter the hurt, no matter the chaos of our world, we can look to you as our stronghold. And you ask us to do that. Lord, we believe that you are good and we, as we have, so many of us have seen it in our own lives. And for that soul here that's here that does not yet know you, has not yet dedicated their life to following you, Lord, I pray a blessing over them. And I pray that you shine your face on them in a way that they can't deny your reality. Lord, I pray for Hope Church. I pray for every congregant here, every person under the sound of my voice, that, that they get to know you just a little bit more. And Lord, ultimately, we say we love you. We thank you for your cross, for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to earth to die on that cross for our sins, but not just dying, rising again three days later, so that through faith in him, we can have eternal life. It's in his name we pray these things. Amen.